Blog Talk Radio. Once again, as we have in the past eight and a half years, we're coming to you live from the Eastern Radio Show studio in St. Augustine, Ponte Vedra, Florida. Thanks for listening to Eastern Airlines Talk Radio. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the show, and we have a great show for you tonight. Glad you're tuning us in. And to all the listeners around the world, we say welcome. And yes, we do have listeners around the world. Join us as we celebrate the life of Eastern Airlines every Monday, this time, 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Hello, Eastern family and friends. As our producer said, it's great having you with us again. My name is Jim Hart. And it's certainly great being back with the radio show after being away trying to take care of some of my health issues. I'm fine now and coming to you live from beautiful Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, where the weather today was 77 degrees, bright sunshine, and no humidity. Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. In fact, we can now say we become the Eastern Airlines International Radio Show because we are heard in over 50 countries. Can you imagine that? We'd love to hear your comments and share your memories with radio listeners from around the world during this broadcast. Won't you give us a call? If you haven't called the show before, All you need to do is to call 213-816-1611 and just say hello to talk with us on the air every Monday evening. We can identify many countries around the world who listen in with our blog talk radio application. Isn't it great that we can keep the Eastern legacy going out, not only to the Eastern family, but to listeners from many countries around the world. That's what we try to do every week on the Eastern Radio Show. Please join us by adding your voice to these broadcasts. Our thanks also to those who choose to listen by computer using the radio icon on our homepage at www.easternradioshow.com or perhaps by signing in 
at the site of our provider, Blog Talk Radio, at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie. And uh, remember to abbreviate the word Captain to C-A-P-T. Should you wish to talk during our live broadcast, feel free to use our call-in number, 213-816-1611 at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Let me repeat that number so you can jot it down for our Monday night visits. And by the way, tell your friends about us. Our membership is growing. We're well over 1,000 now. And don't forget you can listen to any of our 425 Monday nightly broadcasts and the 100-plus Thursday broadcasts by simply going to blogtalkradio.com forward slash C-A-P-T Eddie, Captain Eddie. That's Captain Eddie and to blog talk and scrolling down through the archive or broadcast, each episode is briefly described. We're over 500 episodes now with the Eastern Files and Eastern Old Time Radio Series. And as I like to say, holy blue Sunoco, it's good to be back with you. Our lines are always open for calls, and if you choose not to participate and talk live with our host, we ask you to please mute your phone as our producer does not have the capability of filtering out any background noises. Whoops, I see we're number one for takeoff, so Captain, let's get flight number 426 in the air. Tower Blur is 650, chose a sad topic for tonight's show, deaths in aircraft of famous people. Many of us know friends or relatives who have lost their life in an aircraft. I lost my best friend, indeed a famous person to me, in a Boeing Stearman November 1935 Mike. That was in the summer of 1971. We owned that airplane and used it for our personal enjoyment often in air shows. And it was at an aerial performance that Eastern pilot John Cornye Jr. 
lost his life entertaining others in coming Georgia. Hardly a day passes that I do not think of John and of our friendship. For that reason, this show is dedicated to my late best friend, John Cornine. Some of these names you have heard, the ones you have we have selected for tonight's show, come from different walks of life, sports, entertainment, politics, aviation, and other professions. Here are some of the people who have perished in an airplane. Uh, Mike, just a moment, and I'll have you tell us about our first one. Okay, Mike, you're on the air. Okay, sure, Captain Neal. The first one of many to mention was Lincoln Beachley. Uh, he was born March 3rd, 1887, and perished uh, March 14th, 1915. Was an avi- was a, a, a pioneer American aviator and barnstormer, and became famous and wealthy from his flying expeditions, uh, staggering area stunts, and helping invent. Uh, uh, aerobatics and setting get my paper here setting aviation records it was in the at the Panama Pacific International Expedition that Beachley made his final flight prior to the expedition in 1914 he had a Beachley Eaton monoplane built he took the plane up in front of the crowd of 500,000 correction 50,000 inside the fairgrounds with another 200,000 on the hills made a loop and turned the plane over on its back. He may have been so in, intent on leveling the airplane inverted that he failed to notice that he was only 2,000 feet, 610 meters, over the San Francisco Bay. He pulled on the controls to pull the airplane out of its inverted position where it was slowly sinking, and the strain caused the rear spars of the wings to break and crumpled the plane, the crumpled plane pungled, uh, plunged into the bay between two ships. The autopsy found that he had survived the crash and had died from drowning. And Beachley was buried in uh, Cypress Lawn Memorial Park in uh, in California. Henry John Duchin Sinkdorf, Jr., born December 31st, 1943, died October 12th, 1997. He was known professionally as John Denver was an American singer-songwriter, record producer, actor, activist, and humanitarian, whose greatest commercial success was as a solo singer. After traveling and living in numerous locations while growing up in his military family, Denver began his music career with folk music groups during the late 1960s. Starting in the 1970s, he was one of the most popular acoustic artists in the dec- of the decade and one of its best-selling artists. By 1974, he was one of America's best-selling performers, and the publication All Music has described Denver as a, quote, among the most beloved entertainers of his era. Denver was killed on October 12, 1997, when his experimental aircraft, a routine long, easy plane, tail number November 555JD, John Denver, crashed into the Monterey Bay near Pacific Grove, California, while making a series of touch and go landers at nearby Monterey, Pensacola, Peninsula Airport. 
Denver was the only occupant of the aircraft. Identification was not possible using dental records. Only his fingerprints confirmed that the pilot was Denver. The official cause of death was multiple blunt force trauma resulting from the crash. Post-accident investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board, that's the NTSB, showed that the leading cause of the accident was Denver's inability to correctly switch fuel tanks during flight. The quantity of fuel in the tank being used had been depleted during the plane's flight to Monterey, and in several brief practice takeoffs and landings, which Denver performed at the airport immediately to the final flight. His newly purchased experimental rutan had an unusual fuel tank selector valve handle configuration. The selector valve handle had been intended by the plane's designer to be located between the pilot's legs where it was readily available. The builder of this particular airplane instead had placed it behind the pilot's left shoulder. The fuel gauge was also placed behind the pilot's seat and was not visible to the person at the controls. And that is why the airplane ran out of fuel and crashed. Chuck? Lynn Walter Edwards, on March 5th, 1918, Paris, June 5th, 1948, was a test pilot for the United States Air Force and is the namesake of Edwards Air Force Base. In May of 1948, Edwards was selected to join the test, test team, test pilots, and engineers at Merck, who were then evaluating the Northrop YB-49, the all-jet version of the exotic flying wing bomber. After his first few flights, he was not favorably impressed, confiding to his diary that it was, quote, the darndest airplane I ever tried to do anything with, quite uncontrollable at times, unquote. Then on May 5, 1948, he was flying as co-pilot when Major Daniel Forbes, when the airplane departed from control flight and broke apart in the skies northwest of the base, all five crew members were killed. Dorothy? Yes, another one we had, Chuck, was Bessie Coleman. January 26, 1892, until her death, April 30th, 1926. She was an American civil aviator. She was the first woman of African American African descent and the first of Native American descent to hold a pilot license. She achieved her international pilot license in 1921. On April 30, 1926, Coleman was in Jacksonville, Florida. She had recently purchased a Curtis JN-4, called a Jenny, in Dallas. Her mechanic and publicity agent, a 24-year-old William D. Wills, flew the plane from Dallas in preparation for an air show but had to make three forced landings along the way because the plane had been so poorly maintained. Upon learning this, Coleman's friends and family did not consider the aircraft safe and employed her not to fly it. On takeoff, Willis was flying the plane with Coleman in the other seat. She had not put on her seatbelt because she was planning a parachute jump for the next day and wanted to look over the cockpit sill 
to examine the terrain. About 10 minutes into the flight, the plane unexpectedly went into a dive and then a spin at 3,000 feet above the ground. Coleman was thrown from the plane at 2,000 feet and unfortunately died instantly when she hit the ground. William Wills was unable to regain control of the plane and it plummeted to the ground. Wills died upon impact and the plane exploded and burst into flames. Although the wreckage of the plane was badly burned, it was later discovered that a wrench used to service the engine had jammed the controls. Coleman was only 34 years old. So sad. Albert Scott Crossfield. Don, would you uh, take that, please? I'm sorry, uh, Jim. Yep. Uh, uh, wait a minute, John. Go ahead. We can't hear. Put... Uh, just a moment. Let me ask Jim, uh, Jim uh, the Heart, if he uh, has that about Albert uh, Scott Crossfield. Jim Hart. Yes, I'm trying. Okay, uh, we're, you're coming through now. Go ahead, Jim. Albert Scott, Scott Crossfield, October 2, 1921, until April 19 in the year 2006, was an American naval officer and test pilot. In 1953, he became the first pilot to fly at twice the speed of sound. He was the first of 12 pilots who flew the North American X-15, an experimental space plane, jointly operated by the United States Air Force and NASA. In 1967, Crossfield joined Eastern Airlines, where he served as a division vice president for research and development, and subsequently as a staff vice president working with the U.S. military and civilian agencies on air traffic control technologies. On April 19, 206, a Cessna 210A pilot by Crossfield was reported missing while flying from Prattville, Alabama, towards Manassas, Virginia. On April 20, authorities confirmed his body was found in the wreckage of his plane in a remote area of Loudville, Georgia. There were severe thunderstorms in the area when air traffic controllers lost radio contact and radar contact with Crossfield's airplane. Colleen. Thank you, Jim. Cornelia Clark Fort, born February 5, 1919 in Nashville, Tennessee, died March 21, 1943 in Merkel, Texas. She was 24 years old. She was a United States aviator who became famous for being part of two aviation-related events. The first occurred while conducting a civilian training flight at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, when she was the first United States pilot to encounter the Japanese air fleet during the attack on Pearl Harbor. She and her student, 
narrowly escaped a mid-air collision with the Japanese aircraft and a strafing attack after making an emergency landing. If you saw the movie Tora, 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 a 1970 war drama about Pearl Harbor, you'll recall that scene and her look as she saw all the Japanese aircraft about to invade Pearl Harbor. The following year, Ford became the second member of what was to become the Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP. Cornelia was working as a WASP ferry pilot on 21st of March, 1943, when she became the first female pilot in American history to die on active duty. She was involved in a mid-air collision and crashed 10 miles south of Merkel, Texas, in Mulberry Canyon, Texas. At the time of her death, she was one of the most accomplished pilots of the WASP. Carrie? Thank you. Charles Harden Holly, September 7th, 1936 through February 3rd, 1959. Known professionally as Buddy Holly, was an American musician and songwriter who was a central and pioneering figure of mid-1950s rock and roll. He was born in Lubbock, Texas, to a musical family during the Great Depression and learned to play guitar and sing alongside his siblings. His style was influenced by gospel music, country music, and rhythm and blues acts, which he performed in Lubbock with his friends from high school. The Winter Dance Party Tour began in Milwaukee, Wisconsin on January 23, 1959. The amount of travel involved created logistical problems, and the distance between venues had not been considered when scheduling performances. Adding to the problem, the unheated tour buses twice broke down in freezing weather with dire consequences. Holly's drummer, Carl Bunch, was hospitalized for frostbite to his toes, suffered while aboard the bus. So Holly decided to seek other transportation. On February 2nd, before their appearance in Clear Lake, Iowa, Holly chartered a four-seat Beechcraft Bonanza airplane for Jennings, Allsup and himself, from Dwyer Flying Service in Mason City, Iowa. Holly's idea was to depart following the show at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake and fly to their next venue in Moorhead, Minnesota, via Fargo, North Dakota, allowing them time to rest and launder their clothes and avoid a rigorous bus journey. Immediately after the Clear Lake show, which ended just before midnight, also agreed to flip a coin for the seat with Valens. Valens called heads. When he won, he reportedly said, that's the first time I've ever won anything in my life. Alsup later opened a restaurant in Fort Worth, Texas called Heads Up. Waylon Jennings voluntarily gave up his seat to J.P. Richardson, the big bopper, who had influenza and complained that the tour bus was too cold and uncomfortable for a man of his size. The pilot, Roger Peterson, took off in inclement weather although he was not certified to fly by instruments only. Shortly after 12.55 a.m. on February 3, 1959, Holly, Valens, Richardson, and Peterson were killed instantly when the aircraft crashed into a frozen cornfield five miles northwest of Mason City, Iowa, airport, shortly after takeoff. The three musicians who were ejected from the fuselage upon impact suffered severe head and chest injuries. Mike? Now we have uh, a name that everybody knows is Audie Leon Murphy. He was born 20th of June 1925 and passed away on 28th of May 1971. 
was one of the most decorated American combat soldiers of World War II. He received every military combat award for valor available from the United States Army, as well as French and Belgian awards for heroism. Murphy received the Medal of Honor for Valor, as he demonstrated at the age of 19 for single-handedly holding off an entire company of German soldiers for an hour at the Colmar Pocket in France in January 1945, then leading a successful counterattack while wounded and out of ammunition. Murphy was born to a large family of sharecroppers in Hunt County, Texas. His father abandoned them, and his mother died when, they were, when he was a teenager. Murphy left school in the fifth grade to pick cotton and find other work to help support his family. And his skill with uh, hunting, or the hunting rifle helped feed his family. On 20th of May, 1971, uh, Murphy was killed when a private plane in which he was a passenger crashed into Brush Mountain near Catawba, Virginia. I think that's how you say it. 20 miles west of Roanoke in conditions of rain, clouds, fog, and zero visibility. The pilot of the four and four other passengers were also killed. The aircraft was a twin-engine Aero Commander 680 flown by a pilot who had a private pilot license and reported 8,000 hours of flying time, but who held no instrument rating. The aircraft was recovered on the 31st of May. After her husband's death, Pamela uh, Murphy moved to a small apartment and got a a clerk position in the Sepulveda Veterans Administration Hospital in Los Angeles, where she remained employed for over 35 years. And Murphy is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Wow, that's wonderful. Harriet Quimbley, May 11, 1875 to July 1, 1912, was an early American aviator and a movie screenwriter. In 1911, she was awarded a U.S. pilot certificate by the Aero Club of America, became the first woman to gain a pilot license in the United States. In 1912, she became the first woman to fly across the English Channel. Although Kumi lived only to the age of 37, she influenced the role of women in aviation. On July 1, 1912, she flew in the third annual Boston Aviation Meet at Squanton, Massachusetts. Although she had obtained her ACA certificate to be allowed to participate in the ACA events, the Boston Meet was an unsanctioned contest. Wimby flew out to Boston Light in Boston Harbor at about 3,000 feet then returned and circled the airfield. William A. P. Willard, the organizer of the event and father of the aviator Charles Willard, was a passenger in a brand-new two-seat Blériot monoplane. At an altitude of 1,000 feet, the aircraft unexpectedly pitched forward for reasons still unknown. Both Willard and Quimby were ejected from their seats and fell to their deaths while the plane glided down and lodged itself in the mud. James Travis Reed, born August 20th, 1923, died July 31st, 1964, was an American country and pop music singer-songwriter. 
with records charting from the 1950s to the 1980s, he became well known as a practitioner of the Nashville style, which is a mixture of older country style music with elements of popular music. He was a member of both the Country Music and Texas Country Music Hall of Fame. Jim Reeves died in the crash of his personal airplane, a single-engine Beechcraft debonair, tail number November 8972 Mike. On Friday, July the 31st, 1964, Reeves and his business partner and manager, Dean Manuel, also the pianist of Reeves' backup loop, the Blue Boys, had left Batesville, Arkansas, bound for Nashville with Reeves at the controls. The two had just secured a deal on some real estate, and Reeves had also unsuccessfully tried to fly property in Deadwood, Texas, north of his birthplace of Galloway. While flying over Brentwood, Tennessee, they flew into a violent thunderstorm. The NTSB investigation later concluded that due to the turbulence, Reeves became spatially disoriented and lost that control of the airplane. Known as Gentleman Jim, his songs continued to chart for years and years and years after his death. Jim? Uh, this is Don. Rock and, uh, I'm back on. Don, go ahead. Uh, Newt Kenneth Rockney, March 4th, 1888 to March 31st, 1931, was a Norwegian-American football player and coach at the University of Notre Dame. Rockney is regarded as one of the greatest coaches in college football history. His biography at the College Hall of Fame of, of Fame identifies him as, quote, without question, America's most rewound uh, football coach, unquote. Rodney helped to popularize uh, the forward pass and made the Notre Dame Fighting Irish a major factor in college football. Rodney died in the crash of a transcontinental and western airliner in Kansas on March 31, 1931, while en route to a, uh, participate in a production of the film The Spirit of Notre Dame, which was released on October 13, 1931. He had stopped in Kansas City to visit his two sons, Bill and Newt Jr., who were at boarding school there at the Pembroke County Day School. A little over an hour after taking off from Kansas City, one of the Falker Trimoner's wings broke off in flight. The cause of the breakup was determined to be that the plane's plywood outer skin was bonded to the ribs and spars with, with water-based resin glue, and the, the flight in rain had caused the bond to de deteriorate to the point that the sections of plywood suddenly separated in flight. The plane crashed in a wheat field near Bizarre, Kansas, killing Rotney and seven others. Chuck. Richard Caswell Souffle, 1 September 1884, Paris, 9 June 1916, was a pioneer in naval aviation in the United States Navy, 1915 to 1916, play Assignments were concerned with the technological development of Navy, naval aviation, concentrating on hydro aeroplanes, seaplanes. Developed his, his set altitude and endurance records, was attempting 
to better his own record when he died in a plane crash at Santa Rosa Island on a flight out of the Naval Aeronautics Station at Pensacola, Florida on June 9, 1916. His Curtis Model E hydroplane AHA went down at the 8-hour, 51-minute mark of the flight. The Aeronautics Station Commandant, Commander Henry S. Moosen, later faced accusations that the wrong flying instruction methods had caused the death of Souffle and other aviators. Lieutenant Junior Grade James V. Rockwell, named in Souffle's honor as the Souffle Field Naval Air Station Pensacola and the U.S. Navy destroyer USS Souffle DD-465. Colleen? William Payne Stewart, born January 30, 1957, died October 25, 1999. He was an American professional golfer who won 11 PGA Tour events, including three major championships in his career, the last of which occurred a few months before he died in an airplane accident at the age of 42. On October 25, 1999, a month after the American team rallied to win the Ryder Cup, and four months after his U.S. Open victory, Stewart was killed in the crash of a Learjet flying from his home in Orlando, Florida, to Texas for the year-ending tournament, the Tour Championship, held at Champions Golf Club in Houston. National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, investigators concluded that the aircraft failed to pressurize and that all on board were incapacitated due to hypoxia as the aircraft passed to the west of Gainesville, Florida. The aircraft continued flying on autopilot until it ran out of fuel and crashed into a field near Mena, South Dakota. At the time of his death, Stewart had won almost $13 million in career earnings. He won over $2 million during the 1999 season and finished seventh on the year's money list. Carrie? Thank you. Thomas Evelyn Selfridge, born February 8, 1882, died September 17, 1908, was a first lieutenant in the United States Army and the first person to die in an airplane crash. He was also the first active duty member of the U.S. military to die in a crash while on duty. He was killed while seated, while seated as a passenger in the Wright Flyer on a demonstration flight piloted by Orville Wright. In September 1908, Orville Wright visited Fort Myer to demonstrate the 1908 Wright Military Flyer for the U.S. Army Signal Corps Division. On September 17th, Selfridge arranged to be his passenger and Wright piloted the craft. On this occasion, the flyer was carrying more weight than it had ever done before. The combined weight of the two men was approximately 320 pounds. The flyer circled Fort Myer four and a half times at a height of 150 feet. Halfway through the fifth circuit, at 5.14 in the afternoon, the right-hand propeller broke, losing thrust. This set up a vibration causing the split propeller to hit a guide wire, bracing the rear vertical rudder. The wire tore out of its fastening and shattered the propeller. The rudder swiveled to the horizontal and sent to the sent the flyer into a nosedive. Wright shut off the engine and managed to glide to about 75 feet, but the craft hit the ground nose first. 
Both men were thrown forward against the remaining wires, and Selfridge struck one of the wooden uprights of the framework, fracturing the base of his skull. He underwent neurosurgery but died three hours later without regaining consciousness. Wright suffered severe injuries, including a broken left thigh, several broken ribs, and a damaged hip, and was hospitalized for seven weeks. Mike? And as another common name here is Wiley Hardiman Post. I never knew what his middle name was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, born November 22nd, 1898, and died August 15th, 1935. Was a famed American aviator during the interwar period and first pilot to fly solo around the world. Also known for his work on high altitude flying. Post also helped develop one of the first uh, pressure suits and discovered the jet stream. On August 15, 1935, Post and the American humorist Will Rogers were killed when Post's aircraft crashed on takeoff from a lagoon near Point Barrow in the territory of Alaska. Post's Lockheed Vega aircraft, the Winnie Mae, was on display at the National Airspace uh, and Space Museum, Udvar Hazy Center, in t- between 2003 and 2011, which is now featured in a time and navigation gallery on the second floor of the National Airspace and uh, Museum in Washington, D.C. Post's friend Will Rogers visited him often at the airport in Burbank, California, while Pacific Air Motive uh, Limited was modifying the aircraft and asked Post to fly with him through Alaska in search for new material for his newspaper column. When the floats Post had ordered were delayed, he used a set designated for a larger airplane, making the aircraft more nose-heavy, uh, more nose-heavy than it already was. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, according to the research of Byron Sterling, I'm not sure who he was, the floats were the correct type for the aircraft. After making a test flight in July, Post and Rogers left Lake Washington near Seattle in early August and made several stops in Alaska. While Post piloted the aircraft, Rogers wrote his columns on on his typewriter. On August 15th, they left Fairbanks, Alaska, for Point Barrow. They were a few miles from where they were to get to Point Barrow when they became uncertain of their position in the bad weather and landed in a lagoon to ask for directions. On takeoff, the engine failed at a low altitude, and the aircraft, uncontrollably nose-heavy at low speed, plunged into the lagoon, shearing off the right wing and ended up inverted in, a shallow, in the shallow part. Both men died instantly. Uh, Post is buried in the Memorial Park Cemetery, Section 48 in Oklahoma City, and uh, William Penn Adar... Uh, Adair Rogers, as his name was, was born November 4th, 1879, and of course he died on the same flight, August 15th, 1935, and he's buried in the Forest Lawn Park um, Cemetery in Glendale, California. Post was age 35, and Rogers was age 55. Jim? Thank you, Mike. Francis Gary Powers, born August 17th, 1929, died August 1st, 1977. He was an American pilot whose Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, U-2 spy plane was shot down while flying a reconnaissance mission in the Soviet Union airspace, causing the 1960 UC U-2 incident. 
He later worked as a helicopter pilot for KNBC and died in a 1977 helicopter crash. Powers was piloting the helicopter for KNBC Channel 4 over West Los Angeles on August 1, 1977, when the aircraft crashed, killing him and his cameraman, George Spears. They had been recording videotape following brush fires in Santa Barbara County in the KNBC helicopter, and we're heading back from them. His bill, Bell 206 Jet Ranger helicopter, ran out of fuel and crashed at the Sepulveda Dam recreational area in Encinino. I don't know if I got that right, California, several miles short of his intended landing site at Burbank Airport. The National Transportation Safety Board report attributed the probable cause of the crash to pilot error. According to Power's son, however, an aviation mechanic had replaced a falter fuel gauge without informing Powers, who subsequently misread it. At the last moment, he saw some children playing in the area he was aiming for and turned the helicopter away to avoid hitting them. He might have landed safety if not for this life-second deviation, which compromised his auto-rotation descent. Dorothy? Yes, just so everyone knows, Brian Sterling was an American writer and authority on the life and work of the American political commentator, humorist, and entertainer, Will Roberts, who we spoke about, Rogers. Uh, He was born January 27, 1922, and died at the age of 97. Barbara K. Olson, December 27, 1955 to September 11, 2001, was an American lawyer and conservative television commentator who worked for CNN, Fox News Channel, and several other outlets. Sorry about that. She was a passenger on American Airlines Flight 77 en route to a taping of Bill Maher's television show, Politically incorrect when it was flown into the Pentagon and the September 11th attacks. Her original plan had been to fly to California on September 10th, but she delayed her departure until the next morning so that she could wake up with her husband, Ted Olson, on his birthday, September 11th. That was a shame. Olson was a passenger on American Airlines Flight 77 on her way to a taping of Politically Incorrect in Los Angeles. Of course, we all know when it was flown into the Pentagon into the September 11th attacks. Bill Mayer, a host of Politically Incorrect, left the panel chair empty for a week in her memory. At the National September 11th Memorial, Olson's name is located on panel S70 of the South Pool, along with those of other passengers of Flight 77. Chuck? Albert Paul Mintz, August 2nd, 1903, Parish, July 8, 1965. Known as Paul Mintz, was a noted air racing pilot movie stunt pilot and consultant from the late 1930s until his death in the mid-1960s. He gained fame on two stages, Hollywood and in the air races. Once died on July 8, 1965, while working on the movie The Flight of the Phoenix, which was produced and directed by 
Robert Aldridge flying a very unusual aircraft, the Tomas Phoenix P-1 built specially for the film. Once struck a small hillock while skimming over a desert site in Arizona for a second take. As Muntz attempted to recover by opening the throttle to its maximum, the overstressed aircraft broke in two and nosed over into the ground, killing Muntz instantly. Bobby Rose, a stuntman standing behind Muntz in the cockpit and representing a character played by Hardy Kruger, was seriously injured. The FAA investigation noted Muntz's alcohol consumption before the flight said the resulting impairment to his efficiency and judgment contributed to the accident. Thirteen years later, his business partner, Fright Tillman, also died in an aviation mishap. Some were with Mintz during the shoot dispute that he was flying under the influence. Although they, they acknowledged he was drinking alcohol the night before the fatal flight, toxicology tests were performed several hours after the incident. In the absence of refrigeration, normal post-mortem biochemical process might produce blood ethanol and, and the cause or contribute to an elevated BAC level. The final credit of the flight of the Phoenix bears a tribute to Paul Muntz. Quote, it should be remembered that Paul Muntz, a fine man, a brilliant flyer, gave his life in the making of this film. Terry? John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Jr., born November 25, 1960, died July 16, 1999, often referred to as JFK, Jr., or John John, was an American lawyer, journalist, and magazine publisher. He was he was the son of President John F. Kennedy and First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy and a younger brother of Caroline Kennedy. His father was assassinated three days before his third birthday. On July 16, 1999, Kennedy departed from Fairfield, New Jersey at the controls of his Piper Saratoga light aircraft. He was traveling with his wife Carolyn and sister-in-law Lauren Bissett to attend the wedding of his cousin, Rory Kennedy, at Hyannisport, Massachusetts, after first dropping Lauren off in Martha's Vineyard. He had purchased a plane on April 28, 1999, from Airbound Aviation. Carolyn and Lauren were passengers sitting in the second row of seats. Kennedy had checked in with the control tower at the Martha's Vineyard Airport, but the plane was reported missing after it failed to arrive on schedule. The National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, determined that pilot error was the probable cause of the crash. Quote, Kennedy's failure to maintain control of the airplane during a descent over water at night was a result of a spatial disorientation. End quote. Jim Holder. Lawrence Patton McDonald, born April 1st, 1935, died September 1st, 1983, was an American politician and a member of the United States House of Representatives, representing Georgia's 7th Congressional District as a Democrat. This was until he was killed while a passenger on aboard Korean Airlines Flight 007 when it was shot down by a Soviet interceptor. McDonald had been invited to South Korea to attend a celebration of the 30th anniversary United States South Korea Mutual Defense Treaty, along with three fellow members of Congress, Senator Jesse Helms of North Carolina, Senator Steve Symes of Idaho, and Representative Carol Hubbard of Kentucky. 
Due to bad weather on Sunday, August the 28th, 1983, McDonald's flight from Atlanta was diverted to Baltimore, and when he finally arrived at JFK Airport in New York, he had missed his connection to the South Korea flight by two or three minutes. McDonald could have boarded a Boeing, Pan Am Boeing 747 flight to Seoul, but he re- preferred the lower fares of Korean Airlines and chose to wait for the next JL flight two days later. Simultaneously, Hubbard and Helms planned to meet with McDonald to discuss how to join McDonald on the KAL 007 flight. But as the delays mounted, instead of joining McDonald's, Hubbard at the last minute gave up on the trip. He canceled his reservations and accepted a Kentucky speaking engagement, while Helms attempted to join McDonald's, but was also delayed and missed the flight. He then boarded a later flight, KAL-015. Now, McDonald occupied an aisle seat, 2B, in the first class section when KL Flight 007 took off on August 31st at 12.24 a.m., just after midnight. On a 3,400-mile trip to Anchorage, Alaska, or scheduled stopover seven hours later. The plane remained on the ground for an hour and a half, during which it was refueled, recatered, cleaned, and serviced. The passengers were given the option of leaving the aircraft, but McDonald remained on the plane, catching up on his sleep. Helms, meanwhile, arrived and invited McDonald to move over to his flight, KL-015, but McDonald did not wish to be disturbed. With a fresh flight crew, Career and Air 007 took off at 4 a.m. for its local time for its scheduled non-stop flight over the Pacific to Seoul's Kimpo International Airport nearly 4,500-mile flight that would take approximately eight hours. On September the 1st, 1983, McDonald and the rest of the passengers and crew of Korea and Air 007 were killed when a Soviet fighter under command of General Anatoly Kornyov shot down KL-07 on Girmunaran Island after the plane had entered Soviet airspace. We conclude this short list of notable people who lost their lives in aircraft accidents by one we still report as unsolved, that of Colleen. Amelia Mary Earhart, born July 24, 1897, disappeared July 2, 1937. She was an American aviation pioneer and author. Earhart was the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. She set many other records, wrote best-selling books about her flying experiences, and was instrumental in the formation of the 99, an organization for female pilots. She decided that her next trip would be to fly around the world. In March 1937, she flew to Hawaii with fellow pilot Paul Mance, whom you may remember lost his life on the movie set Flight of the Phoenix we spoke of earlier, to begin this flight. Earhart lost control of the plane on takeoff, however, and the plane had to be sent to the factory for repairs. In June, she went to Miami to again begin a flight around the world, this time with Fred Noonan as her navigator. No one knows why, but she left behind important communication 
and navigation instruments. Perhaps it was to make room for additional fuel for the long flight. The pair made it to New Guinea in 21 days, even though Earhart was tired and ill. During the next leg of the trip, they departed New Guinea for Howland Island, a tiny island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. July 2, 1937, was the last time Earhart and Noonan communicated with a nearby Coast Guard ship. They were never heard from again. What do you think happened? Well, thank you, host, for uh, great information and uh, about uh, some interesting people that passed away uh, in uh, aircraft, whether they were flying or as passengers, doing stunts and so forth. And uh, it's interesting that I had uh, uh, Flight of the Phoenix, Paul Mance, uh, making that movie, I uh, forgot who the main star was. I think it was Jimmy Stewart yes. that uh, played as a main uh, actor. And uh, they disassembled an airplane that had crashed there in the desert, and they rebuilt an airplane that Paul Mance had designed, actually, and um, unable. It it uh, broke apart or, or he when he hit the hill. But it was interesting that about that time, I was flying out to L.A., and a good friend of mine I used to enjoy flying with on the L-1011 was Captain Bill Malone. And uh, we had a pretty good layover out there. And Bill asked me, he said, hey, Neil, he said, what are you doing? He said, do you like to go over to the um, Burbank? I mean, not Burbank, but um, Orange County Airport and uh, visit the Tall Man's Museum. It was... Tallman, Frank Tallman, and of course Paul Mance that had a museum there. And uh, I said, Yeah, I'd like to go. And we went, drove down, and um, while we were in the museum, I looked over and I said, By golly, that guy looks very familiar. And sure enough, it was uh, Frank Tallman. And uh, Paul Mance had already died in the aircraft accident. But a uh, very interesting man. Of course, Bill talked to him for a little while, and then he took off to his office. But uh, interesting to make uh, to meet. Uh, Paul Mance was a stunt pilot. He was uh, known as a Hollywood stunt pilot, and he did a lot of the stunt flying in many, many movies. And Frank Tallman also did the same thing. Very interesting. Any of you guys have an experience you witnessed uh, any aircraft accidents? Just a note there, this is Chuck. In the movie, was it a C-17 that they cut apart it looked and like used it. half of it for the plane? It sure looked if like I'm not that. mistaken, and I could be, I thought it was the first flying boxcar, which I think was a C-88 made by Fairchild, I think. And uh, okay. it looked like it C- didn't fly to begin with. C ninety two, C ninety two, C ninety two. Between the C ninety two and the one eighteen, they used a whole bunch of them for that movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I I flew the C one nineteen, and I'll tell you, I think when they were brand new, they weren't very safe. One nineteen of the airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
tell me about you it. You couldn't a shoebox with wings on it. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. But I've witnessed two aircraft accidents, and uh, one, of course, with with John Cornyn, my late partner, uh, there on the scene, helped pull John out of the airplane. And uh, about three or four years ago, I was at the uh, Sebring Light Aircraft Show, Sports Aircraft Show, and we were watching a demonstration of these small, less than, or 1,200 pounds, uh, was considered a light sport aircraft. And as we watched one of the amphibians, a fabric air amphibian, took off and he had made a couple of passes back and forth at about oh, 200 feet over the runway, and we were about probably 50 yards away. And um, all of a sudden, he pulled the airplane up right in front of us. And Emery was with me, Dorothy, at the time, and my little brother and another friend. And he pulled the airplane up abruptly, and as it did, it did a stall, just like my late partner in our steerman. It did a stall and almost exactly the way uh, John died. These two individuals died right in front of us and um, hmm. crashed. And so, yeah, it it, it, it it really affects you for quite a while. And uh, for the rest of that air show, we, we weren't... Uh, to entertain by light sport airplane any any planes anymore. Well, we, we well, some of us were witnesses to back in I think it was 1972. Uh, we were when I was at working the terminal at Kennedy at Eastern. Uh, it was the day that the TIA DC-8 taken off on uh, mm -hmm. on 13 uh, right. Uh, he uh, he. Uh, it's the one that that had the, supposedly the jam stabilizer and went up into a stall and then yeah. then dropped down and crashed to the right side of the runway. Well, we saw it go in, and all we could think of initially was uh, you know TIA probably 250 passengers on it, so everybody of course ran towards the airplane. But fortunately, they only had the crew on board there. But that was the uh, to see an airplane the size of a DC-8. Uh, it, it kind of turned, and the bottom of the airplane was facing us. And as it hit the ground, it kind of knife-edged into the ground, and, and it didn't seem to slow up at all. It just kind of disappeared into the ground. And then moments after, of course, the fuel ignited, and we had the the usual aftermath. But uh, that was very uh, uh, disheartening to see that. I mean, everybody was just everybody was crazy over that whole thing. They all ran towards, yeah. and of course, there was nobody could get near it because of the the heat and the flames and all that, and very very bad. TIA for everybody that doesn't know who that is. That was Trans International Airways. It was a brand new DC-863. 63. It yeah. was. Oh, yeah, it was it was ferrying to Oakland out of Kennedy to pick up troops. Actually, that's incredible. Well, on well, the uh, airplane crash I saw, I saw first thing from the co-pilot seat the DC-7 landed in Atlanta about three in the morning. Uh, blew all the tires, tore right here off, and we damn near hit the fire station. And they came roaring out to fight the fire, which there wasn't any fire. They ran almost ran into the nose of an airplane. 
It was very foggy that night, and they didn't know that we came to a stop. We didn't either. The tower told us you almost hit the fire site. But yeah. nobody was hurt. <clears throat> Just mm. embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, any further comments about our show tonight before we turn it over to Dorothy? And Dorothy can tell us what's going on here. Jim Hart, you still with us? I sure am. Okay, you must not have gotten the message about uh, Don doing the part there, but uh, at any rate, thank you very much. Thank uh, you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Kitchen table radio, right? You're well, right. you know, well, it's amazing that we do this show, and uh, I think uh, it. I think people understand it. But uh, we do no rehearsals whatsoever. What comes over the microphone, over the air, that's the way it is. No changing. No no, no rehearsing. Well, the problem is you don't know, too, when your phone is going to let go, when you need a battery or something. All of a sudden, you can't talk and nobody can hear you, and it's like, what happened? (laughs) Yeah, Neil's Neil's gonna dock my pay for missing that first segment. <laughs> well, I, I think your friend uh, John Cornier would uh, would be appreciate some of the stuff that we talked about tonight, and uh, oh, we have sure. a yeah. after the show we can have a little toast for him. You know, John was uh, he's quite a guy, and we met. Uh, he was hired one week before I was, and and his uh, beautiful daughter Lisa. Uh, is married to um, Michael uh, Mike Pagel, who was a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts uh, the year before Peyton Manning came on board. So wow. two beautiful people, and uh, uh, Lisa was uh, 13 years old when John died. Her father died, oh, and we had uh, Lisa was with me and my son and my daughter were with me uh, when when the uh, crash happened. And uh, at any rate, um, yeah, he's he's missed. And I have a picture of, uh, right beside my desk of John on our airplane. It was a beautiful 1935 bike. Never forget that uh, airplane. It's something beautiful you just airplane. don't forget, unfortunately. No. Uh, it's something you can't put behind you and not remember because, they meant so much to you. They're in your heart, so obviously you can't forget anything that easily. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure everybody can understand that for sure. Well, Dorothy, what's coming up here? Well, we have, uh, I'll give you the shows first before I tell you all the other news. Um, our next episode is Remembering the Summer of 1969 followed by Malaysia Flight MH370 Mystery. Uh, Then we have Eastern uh, History and Labor Day. And, of course, following with the Memorial of 9-11, which we heard a little bit about tonight, and Nathan Hurd, uh, Nathan, yeah, Hord, I'm sorry, Captain Nathan Hord. Neil knows a little bit about him, and I guess Jim Hart does, too. I mean, uh, Jim Holder does, too. So 
We're looking forward to all of the shows coming up and to the memorials as well. Uh, good news is that we had uh, another donation uh, sponsor uh, that was Carolyn Wills, who joined us October 11, 2018. She's a female that was from Atlanta, uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we received a $40 contribution. Of course, uh, Carolyn and all of our friends, we appreciate all of that you do, all of those members who sent in donations so our program can continue to be on the radio. Uh, We want to carry the legacy as far as we can go. And all of those names are posted on our homepage sponsors tab, so be sure to go in and check it out. Uh, Remember that donations of $40 or more will entitle you to receive a copy of Neil's book, Wings of Many, and that's free. uh, It will entitle you to that. Now, we have one uh, of the model aircraft left, the 737, that was donated by our anonymous investor of Eastern Airlines Group. So uh, please, if you want one of those, you have to get your check-in sure for your donation. But don't forget, if we don't have any more models, we certainly have Neil's books that you'll get free. So please continue to donate. We need your contributions to keep us going. Uh, It's a matter of uh, expenses that go up every year, and we need your uh, help, and we appreciate every dime that we get. No donation is too small, so thank you for all that you do. Reaper's first annual reunion, reunion is September 4th to the 6th, and that's going to be at the Embassy Suites Hotel in Kennesaw, Georgia. Uh, more information is on the Reaper website at reaponline.com reunion. If you're ever in our website, it's also a link there to take you under our Reaper um, tab. Jim Holder, you still have those repartee magazines you're looking to share? Yes, I've got about ten more. To okay, get that out. we get ten more that we can offer for to Jim for Jim, and you can send in your name and email address to me, and I'll be glad to forward it to Jim when you do so. Uh, our Thursday programs are coming up. Uh, we have Eastern Memories uh, this week, Thursday, August 15th, and that's always proves to be great listening to some of the history that Neil collects. And the following week will be our OTR, uh, Old Time Radio, uh, Thursday, August 26th, with Captain Neil and, and our guest host, Don Gagnon. So we look forward to all of you joining us, to looking at the website. That's what we have it for. We work hard to keep it updated for all of you. And if you need anything, we're always here to discuss anything that you need. So please keep us in mind and enjoy our program. Thank you so much. Back to you, Neil. Yeah, I got a 224 Chicago. Welcome to our radio show, Chicago, Illinois. And I just turned the microphone. I don't know if you want to say something from Chicago. Good. You know, when you see area codes on the board here, 
you never know where they are. I always think that Colleen is uh, up in New Jersey <laughs> with her area code of seven something, seven two eight. And you never know where people are from uh, anymore, you know, with these area codes because they just keep their cell phone and they just move from one place to the other. Right. And, uh, too. From New Jersey. <laughs> which by which by the way i will be there from wednesday until the following tuesday so i won't be on the air next okay. week all right okay. thanks colleen thanks for being maybe with they us. maybe they have their phone mute, uh, muted they, they might they might do that because that's what we tell them to do that's right yeah. but at any rate uh, we have uh, people and it's amazing when i look at the statistics uh, at, when I put the show uh, and schedule it with Blog Talk Radio, they give us a map of the world and all the countries that listen to us. And boy, wouldn't it be great if we got someone from Mongolia or uh, <laughs> one of these countries, you know, that that appear on the on on my map? And uh, it's well, very we, interesting. We have a few that we've gotten that we were surprised yeah. at. So we, it's we have regular listeners. Know. Throughout right. the European Remember the guy uh, from the Soviet Union? Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, the captain. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Captain Kudyukov. But uh, we have <laughs> one in Ghana and Colombia, Argentina. They listen right. regularly. So they're always uh, mm. appearing. Uh, so they're very interesting. So yeah, at any rate. That, don't forget that they always uh, go into our blog talk and listen through there. So. That's always interesting to see. Neil also shares that information with us from time yeah, to yeah. time, so we know how many listeners are computing to us. <laughs> so Okay, well, okay. we're going to put the airplane on the ground so uh, Jim can signal <laughs> us in. So let's see if we can get a, a landing here, a, a squeaker. Okay, great landing, Captain. Be sure to well, tune in again yet, We're on the ground, Jim. <laughs> Be sure to tune in again next Monday, August 19, when America's favorite way to fly returns to the cyber waves, and the radio show takes you back to the summer of 1969. Certainly an event-packed year we probably all will remember. And this is Jim Hart signing off on behalf of our host, Dorothy Gagnon, Don Gagnon, Chuck Albright, Jim Holder, Mike Scott, and Colleen DeFelice. Playing cyber music made popular by our champagne music man himself, Mr. Lawrence Welk, and the one, and the two, and the three. And keep going. So guys, thanks so much. I'll be the same. Thank you all. Thank you so much. And Jim, welcome back. Enjoy having you. All right, Jim. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, Eastern, wherever you are. <laughs> oh, I love y'all. And Mrs. Calabash. <laughs> Jimmy Durante. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get a call from Tabusi Galpa. 